Welcome everybody to Gameology number 32. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Falvey. And I'm Attila Gabriel Brzezinski. Today we're going to be talking about game feel. This is a big topic that has to do with the UI of a game, controls, sound. Attila, could you elaborate for me, please? Yeah, it's it's such a uh, it's a very nebulous concept, I guess. It's something that if a game has it and it's done well, you don't notice it. But when it's not done well, that's when you notice its absence. Absolutely. Now, I'm I'm a little new to the term, but I've been having a lot of fun researching it and thinking about what games felt good, what games felt wrong. And yeah. I I would venture this is one of my favorite examples. You shoot an enemy. They go through their little reaction animation. And if you shoot them before they're done that first reaction animation, a lot of times they won't change. So you'll mm. shoot them, and it doesn't matter how many times you shoot them. They have to finish that same animation. They don't react to any of the other shots until they're done. And I always feel that that is a big immersion breaker. And is it could be a hard thing to do, but I've seen it done in many other games where every shot they start up a new reaction animation. And I think mm-hmm. it's a little tweak that maybe is a lot more difficult than I'm making it sound, but I think goes in goes pretty far in terms of game feel and how a game uh, it's just nice to play and shoot people. Yeah, is this uh, is this from a particular game you're thinking of in like more specifically? I think uh, the last one I saw it in is uh, Mankind Divided, which is a game from 2016, okay. made yeah. by uh, Square. Well, Square Enix published it. I think mm-hmm. it was Eidos Montreal. Eidos, yeah. And this is a game that has a lot of really high high points in terms of polish and looks but i understand games are made by a lot of people and a lot of different teams i've never seen a game that it feels so slapped together where you can see the different seams where characters mm-hmm. look like they're from different games the textures sometimes you get up are so low res you're like how did this make it into this otherwise beautiful world all around it and that's just another mm-hmm. instance where it felt a little bit sloppy and, and rushed Oh, that's unfortunate. But yeah, there's like it, a lot of those things that you're mentioning there are things that can break your immersion. That's another thing that, um, like, uh, you know, what at the end of the day, what isn't game feel, right? Um, game feel is the it, it is this sort of feeling of like uh, when it's done well, you get a good sense of immersion. Um, it's giving you good feedback. Like that's the other thing that you're talking about with when you're shooting an enemy multiple times, they're not reacting to each subsequent shot. Um, you're getting uh, a lack of feedback as a player. And that influences, like, you you might not know that your shots are registering. It certainly doesn't feel satisfying um, to, like, for each bullet impact, if the enemy is, like, reacting and getting, like, knocked back left and right, then you know that each one of your shots is having an impact on them, that they're reeling back from the the, uh, impact from the shot. Mm -hmm. Um. I can say that the the reason that probably like some games can do it very easily and some games don't have it at all, it all depends on how their animation uh, structure is created. Um, so a lot of games, um, probably not some of the more high-quality ones, rely on pre-baked animations. Um, and that means that when an animation initiates, it has to start from a particular beginning frame and has to terminate on a particular ending frame. And if you interrupt the animation or try to play a different animation while one isn't complete yet, then you get a jump in frames and an enemy goes from being in one position to being in a completely different position. Right. And that can that can break your immersion even more than if they're not reacting to your shots because suddenly things look like they're completely unrealistic um that happens at its worst 
in some games they actually use pre-baked walking animations like most self-respecting 3d games nowadays use some sort of procedural generation system for their like walk cycles and it's just the player movement in general so that you get a really fluid feel um between when your character is walking straight versus strafing to the left or right uh the animations all blend into each other so that when the character is running forward and then suddenly they start running to the side you have this natural transition between like their their feet might like uh, move out in front of them and catch them to halt their forward momentum before they start moving to the side. It's incredibly difficult because these animations need to um, like react fast enough that they look good, but the player is uh, in their mind, they know I'm going to walk forward until I reach this point and then I'm going to start moving to the left or the right. And um, when you do that as a human being, you automatically start adjusting your posture so that you can sort of like come to a stop in your forward momentum before you start moving to the left or the right. But the game doesn't know that you're about to change directions. So the animation system has to work extra hard to suddenly bring the character to a halt and start moving to the side because it it couldn't anticipate the player's intentions. There's no way it could. And if it starts trying to, then you also get additional problems of like the animations not syncing up with player intention so it's at the heart of a more difficult problem than um most like independent developers could necessarily solve although a lot of um code libraries are being written to um simplify the process of animation and bleeding animations into one another um like I said, it's definitely something you want to do for the protagonist, for the player's actions. Um, it's something that I did uh, when I was creating Zarnok Fortress. I made sure that like, from any animation to any animation, uh, the system we used when programming the game is called Spine. It's a toolkit that was created um, so that everything just sort of neatly uh, transitions, or the animation term for it is tweening. Um, because basically you have your start frame and you have your end frame, and then you have the frames that are in between those two positions. And by looking at, you know, if your starting value for, let's say the arm has a starting angle of 90 degrees and then it needs to go up to uh, 180 degrees, um, then the system can figure out, okay, if you're going between 90 and 180, then depending on how many frames we want there to be in between, we can go to like... Uh, 100, 120, 160, 175, 180, all depending on the different like ease in, ease out variables. Like there's there's a lot uh, involved in just the animation side of things of making animations both look good and feel responsive. Um, I think ultimately you would much prefer to have animations that feel responsive than look good. Um, if if you only have the budget both in time and money to do one or the other it's much better to have animations and controls that uh give information to the player um because that's going to result in a much better feeling game from the perspective of controls than if you hit the a button and the character starts this five second pre-baked jump animation where like you hit the jump button and the character crouches down and then jumps. It's like you wanted to jump as soon as you hit A. You wanted your character to go from ground state to five feet off the ground as you hit the button, not a second or two later. 
Yeah, it's when you look at a lot of the older first-person shooters and even a lot of first-person shooters now, some of the mo- the modern ones have incorporated this uh, bit of sway or a momentum, mm-hmm. but it is really most effective to to have them move like a robot on on tracks and be able to stop on a dime. And it's it just feels better. It may not be realistic. I mean, there's there's a lot of elements of especially in first person mode, where if you looked at the I think the developers of Firewatch, Campo Santo, showed a great example where they zoomed out and they said if this is if you were looking at this in third person, the dimensions would be grotesque. The arms mm. would be way too large. The head would be probably missing, and the body would be all screwed yeah. up. But that's just how those are the the compromises they have to make to to give what you imagine a first person angle would look like. Right. You're talking specifically about the difference between um, like what a lot of people don't realize is when you create a first person game, you're not just taking a character model and taking the camera and sticking it onto where the head is. They actually create unique like arm and gun and like all other kinds of assets that, um, that is the player's body from that first person camera. Um, like the the gun models are more detailed the arm models are more detailed the animations are more detailed like everything looks better from that first person perspective and it also looks very distorted because it has to work from a completely different field of view than you have um observing a another character in a 3d environment like mario always looks like mario because you're never looking through mario's eyes um, or at least if you do like hit the camera button and zoom into Mario's perspective, you don't see Mario. You don't see his body or face or anything. Um, but in a, in a first-person shooter game especially, the perspective you have is incredibly distorted to make sure that it... All in the name of looking right, ironically. Mm-hmm. So that's... And those are a lot of things that we don't really think about but are, are all done behind the scenes. There's... Mm. Um, you know, I was thinking about how how sound can uh, incorporate into game feel. Yeah, there's a, a little trick Mario and Nintendo games like to do often is say Mario needs to jump on ten different heads without touching the ground to receive a power mm-hmm. up or something. Yeah, they'll often raise the pitch of every sound. Yeah, and that's a, that's a clever way to. It's very pleasing to hear because your brain is expecting it. It's a pleasing musical sound, and it also guides you in the right direction. You know, you're doing something yeah. right. Um, in you're med- initiating a sequence. Absolutely, and we love sequences. And in Metal Gear Solid 1, when you grab onto uh, an enemy and you start choking them, you need to hammer on the circle button as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And although his the guard makes the same pitch, which is actually a bit of a detriment, it makes it sound a little bit silly because he's going, Ooh. but the fun part of that is tapping that circle so fast, and then all of a sudden it breaks, and you hear a nice satisfying click, almost like a key opening, but it's, it's a neck breaking, and then the body stops that sound, stops everything else, and goes then slowly, yeah, slowly goes limp. And it's a very very satisfying way of um, incorporating, I guess, what it would feel like to crush somebody's <laughs> neck. Oh, man. Game I bet, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of thought and effort that goes into, well, ideally, that should go into every single aspect of these um sort of payoff moments for the player. Anything that uh, like that should feel really visceral. Um, like imagine if they had chosen to make the controller vibrate while you're mashing on circle button and sure. suddenly like jolt and then a stop and there's no more vibration. And you, you know that you've sort of like have this thing that's alive in your hands and you're wrangling with it. And then suddenly there's a click and then it stops. You, you feel like the person's life snap away in your fingers. And it just, I don't, 
I haven't played a Metal Gear game like that, so I don't know if they actually chose to have any incorporation of Rumble. I know a lot of people actually decide to turn Rumble off completely, and yet Rumble was added specifically to try and increase immersion in gameplay, but Mm -hmm. some people just innately don't like Rumble, which is why a lot of the time you have to include the option to turn Rumble off, which is, again, I did that in Zarnok Fortress because it's a simple toggle, and for those people who don't want it, fine, it's not there. But... um, I can be a little uh, sort of clever in using Rumble to provide informational, like uh, positional cues, um, specifically when uh, like a traditional controller had uh, left and right Rumble capacity. So I can say that I, when the player, when an explosion goes off to the player's uh, left, I want to trigger the vibration motor hmm. in. Um, like in the left motor exclusively and if a play, an explosion triggers like right above the player then I have both motors vibrate and then to the right then just the right motor vibrate and it gives the player a sort of positional feel of like where stuff is happening around them um, like when the player lands on a heavy surface one big thing you'll see in a lot of like two-dimensional uh, platforming games is some element of screen shake right. uh, I know that some developers more than others uh, yeah. really like to use screen shake and um when a lot of people hear of screen shake, they just think of uh, taking the viewport and shifting it up and down or left and right. Uh, they don't consider the other axes of screen shake, if you will. Uh, if you had to guess, what, what do you think some of the other options are when you're shaking the screen around like that? I guess you could uh, rotate it and yeah. have a circular motion. Yeah, yeah. You can you can adjust how much the screen is shaking back and forth. I was thinking more of like a circular, like a screw. Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) yes, you could take the entire screen and flip it up completely, but that's going to make people sick really quickly. Um, One of the, uh, like, when when I was creating Zarnok Fortress, I didn't make the screen um, rotate any more than, like, plus or minus five degrees. It was very subtle, but it made, it it was noticeable. Mm -hmm. And along that same lines, there are a lot of games that will use um, frame stopping. Yeah, yeah, halting on a specific frame, like when, when you get something, a uh, really powerful impact or something, um, halting motion. Uh, just before we get too far away from sure. it, though, you can also use zooming in and out as a uh. way to, like, you're grabbing the viewport and shaking it. So those were the, when I was creating Zarnok Fortress, whenever I set off um, an impulse, is what I called it, I had um, different impulses that could, again, trigger from the left or from the right. So I could uh, map to a sinusoidal wave. I would either, I would take the screen and bump it from the left to the right or from the right to the left. Um, mapping everything to a sine curve just always feels nice because it, it has the the beautiful, like, ease in, ease out um, that you're, that just feels nice. Again, it's much nicer feeling than just a linear sort of um, shake. So, uh, when when if the player did a dash and they suddenly they get an increase in their acceleration, then I would pull the camera back so you could see more of the screen, uh, and that gave you. Uh, it was functional because if you're going faster, you want to be able to see more of the screen, see more of the environment, so you can see what's ahead of you. But it also gave this feeling of like whoosh, like suddenly you're you're mm. um, you're just you like uh, I don't know like when you when you. Um, accelerate in real life then things that are further away come closer to you and you get to see more information that way so that was the what I was trying to replicate was like when you um, 
hit the dash in the game, the camera pulls out and you see more information around you. At least that's what I was going for. I don't know. You know, the game feel is such a, I started off the podcast by saying it was such a nebulous thing because it is feel. It is like what feels good and what feels good to one person might feel bad to another person. And that's why it's such a fine art to get it right. And um, that's why I don't know for certain if I nailed everything when I was designing the game, but these are just some of my best attempts, my best assumptions. You know, real quick question about that. Coming from my end in the music world, there's a, an, an often a rule we have is turn something up so that you can hear it and then turn it down a little bit so that you can yep. just feel it. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's that might be the best technique where a lot of people might not even realize there is screen shaking in their game, but if you took mm-hmm. it away, they would feel like there's something missing. Yeah, no, that is definitely something that um, is good advice just in, in any system that you're creating. Um, even when you're debugging something, if you think that an enemy isn't dealing enough damage, um, you can crank it and then like suddenly have the enemy dealing twice as much damage. And if that's still not enough, then you can double it again. And just you, you make big sweeping changes at first and then dial it in when it's feels close to what's right if you keep making small changes in one direction or another you're never gonna really get a sense of what feels best because you might just say i guess this feels good enough without really exploring the gamut of what um like i had to uh, when I initially created the screen shake, I just punched in like probably 15 degrees of screen shake and the whole thing like reeled up and down in front of me. I'm like, okay, that's way too much. And I had to like tune it all the way down. Again, the first thing I did was have it and it went down to like, you know, seven and a half degrees or whatever. And um, that still felt like too much. So then again, I punched it down to like three degrees. And I'm like, okay, well that's barely noticeable. So let's punch it up to five degrees and that's perfect. Hmm. So yeah, making making big changes um helps you sort of uh, narrow in on what feels good. Um, it al- it also helps, like, sometimes uh, on a sort of side note here, if you're debugging something and you think that an enemy, the, like the, the initial example that I gave, uh, it's dealing too much or too little damage, and you make a big change, you say, okay, the enemy's dealing twice as much damage now, and then it still isn't doing anything, then you're like, Oh, okay. Something something else must be wrong because the the changes that I'm making to the enemy's damage modifier aren't taking place. Then you know you've got a problem elsewhere. But if you kept making small changes, you'd never realize mm-hmm. um, where the problem was coming from. So it's very useful to do that kind of thing. There you go. There's a hot tip. Um, before we move on from sound, there's a there's yeah. a great sound effect in Overwatch where one of the developers was explaining what he did was he he wanted to find a really satisfying sound for hit confirm so mm. he sampled a beer bottle getting popped open that sort of and then he reversed it yeah. and tweaked it and i mean once you know what you're listening for it's it's pretty obvious and it gives a very satisfying because it's a sound we've heard before mm-hmm. and i mean even not allocating to just beer in general but just the sound of like air escaping is yeah, be yeah. a very satisfying sound and that's that's a little trick that is put into games and works really well it's a sound that you have to hear millions of times perhaps so you need to have it be satisfying but not to the mm-hmm. point where it could become obnoxious or grating yeah it's it all it all comes down to um 
how often you expect the player to hear a specific sound. Like in the case of a hit confirm, that is exactly like something you're hearing millions of times, even uh, like thousands of times within a single match, depending on what kind of... Um, like if you have a character who's just spraying, spraying bullets at the enemy, like D.Va as a tank, um, just firing her mini cannons, or um, Bastion, you know, firing hundreds of rounds per minute. Um, per, yeah, per minute, yeah. And... Uh, as opposed to a more potent, uh, like a character's ultimate ability, which has a, like, uh, you might see once, twice, maybe three times in a match. You want to tune the, um, sort of level of excitement that you're generating, the amount, um, like if the, uh, if the character, uh, shot an enemy and they there are robots so they explode when they die there's like a small amount of screen shake but if you throw like a grenade and it bounces and um sticks to a boss and the boss explodes then significant screen shake mm-hmm. so it's it's those like little differences between um making things feel consistent like you don't want to have uh, the screen shaking constantly because again that's just a whole so much noise that gets filtered out and becomes meaningless um but then if the if there's never this moment where you sort of break out like i think there are only uh two or three impulses in the game that cause significant rotational screen shake um but when you have something like a uh grenade go off or the character hits the floor or anything there's there's several impulses that cause some tiny amount of screen shake um and you, you just want to make sure you're leaving yourself that gamut of like some key moments that have these really significant impacts versus the um, very frequent uh, sort of instances where there's less of an impact. Now, talking about hit confirms and shooting, there was a game mm-hmm. for the PlayStation called Wing Commander 4, and this was a very successful series when it first started, Wing Commander 1 and 2. And I didn't play 3, but in 4, one of the biggest problems was that uh, this is a space combat game, flying ships around shooting each other. What they did was they had... Instead of you aiming at the ship, they wanted you to lead the target. And that's pretty mm-hmm. common in shooting, is to shoot ahead where you think your target is eventually going to be. To help you, they added a little circle. But although this might be deemed helpful, the problem is that you feel like you're spending the entire game shooting a circle. Not shooting at something, yeah. Yeah, and you're, you're shooting a circle the whole time, which is a little bit lamer. Um, there's a real steady stream of fire, but there's no impact when it hits there's not that feedback of it it kind of feels like you're shooting silly string at an enemy mm. whereas the previous games that came out before which came out years before and had much uh, much more primitive technology were using bullets that were less frequent but did a lot more damage and even mm. if they didn't have the technology to have much more of a feedback other than uh, um, sort of a, a bump mapped uh, sprite showing an explosion and, and very primitive sound it was more the fact that you knew how much damage was being done with each of these hits that if you could get that full blast out, it mm-hmm. just made a lot more of a difference. And it's, it's interesting to see how sometimes you can evolve a game and a franchise and use better technology. But if you're still not paying attention to the fundamentals, you yeah. can have a much less satisfying experience. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's completely realistic to be shooting ahead and leading your target. I know when I played Halo Reach, they had a like space combat section that was like that. Um, but here's a crazy idea if you want the player to aim at something why not just have them shoot at the ship because that's what comes most naturally and then have the bullets curve to hit the target because you don't have to tell the player that that's happening as far as the player is concerned they saw the ship they shot at it 
their bullets flew and hit the ship. That's, you know, you're rewarding them from aiming at something. It doesn't matter if they're aiming at the technically correct place. I don't like that. <laughs> I feel, I feel <laughs> like you'd be surprised how much of this kind of stuff is done through deception. Oh, okay. And just playing with player expectations. Sure. I mean, hopping back from console to PC, I noticed there's a lot more auto-aiming going on in consoles. Absolutely. And if you're not paying attention, you might just think, I'm really great at this. <laughs> and one of yeah. the big problems I had with Red Dead Redemption, I, did, I didn't play it when it first came out. I wasn't on the hype train. I played it in 2016 mm -hmm. for the first time. And uh, every time you aim at somebody, it automatically locks on. There is zero challenge from what I've seen in that game. And I thought, I'm not going to play 40 more hours of this crap. Mm. So you have to be careful with that. I, I think maybe you can engage some. And I think what, we've, what we're seeing is that as games have become more popular among console users and the game industry is growing, mm -hmm. you end up uh, having a real dumbed down sense of, uh, of gameplay and game feel in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that can be done in terms of uh, making the game feel easier to control. Basically, what you're trying to do is... Um, going back to controls that feel responsive yeah you're trying to make it so that if the player wants something and is as far as they're concerned hitting a button to make that thing happen that it happens um if the player is aiming at an enemy and they hit the shoot button they want to shoot at that enemy that is their intention and if you can sort of guide their reticle and just cheat it ever so slightly so that it still counts as a hit sure because that's what the player was going for it depends on what kind of game like um sometimes you have uh hit boxes on the player that are incredibly small so that hits don't register unless they're very precisely hitting the player and you always want to err on the side of um, forgiving yeah exactly uh because you don't you never want the the gap between a player's legs to count as a collision because the player is going to point at that and say like hey it never hit me that's nonsense um but in in contrast to that if you swing and hit the air in front of an enemy, like if they, let's say they've got their arms out and you hit the space between their outstretched arms and their legs, but it still counts as a hit, you'll be like, I did it. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll totally want that to count in your favor, even though it probably shouldn't have. Sure. You know, that immediately makes me think of Titanfall 2 and, and a lot of Mario games. Um, especially, I think it is... Well, Titanfall 2 has a lot of first-person flat platforming, mm -hmm. which for years has been sort of a dirty word. People are like, well, that's not fun. Yeah, it's difficult it, to pull off. I, yeah, it is. It's difficult to see what you're doing. You don't want to be running around like this the whole time. It's not looking. as bad as console RTS, though. Yeah, exactly. That is a, a real dark subject. But I found with Titanfall 2, because of the wall jumps and the ability to grab onto walls and the the boost mechanic... Mm -hmm. there's a lot of forgiveness where there's some areas where I think I probably yeah. didn't nail that completely, yeah. but the game knew what I was going for and they helped me out and made me feel like I was a little bit better at it. And I appreciate it's, that. Yeah. It's kind of like the Spider-Man thing where it's like he points his wrists and he like string flies out and it sticks somewhere. You don't really yeah. care. You're watching the movie. You don't, you don't want, uh, too much emphasis to be put on where Spider-Man's string is going. You just he's, he's flying through the sky. You don't you don't have to worry as much about the details of like where the web is sticking to give him that uh, ability to like glide around. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. And Titanfall uses a grappling gun as well, and it's not mm -hmm. like oh, this wasn't a good structure for your grappling gun to hit. It just it just hits it, and away you go. Yeah. It counts. Yeah, there's there's a there can be a problem with trying to explain too much in, mm -hmm. in a game system. Um, you know, talking about movement, 
Mm-hmm. That's an incredibly important thing in gameplay. You're talking about acceleration, friction, um, yeah. momentum. And what I think what set apart the first Mario, Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. from the other platformers at the time was that Mario felt like he had weight. And the way they mm-hmm. accomplished that was um, allowing you to slightly but slowly change momentum in the air and giving yeah. him a lot of momentum when he hits the ground. When Mario mm-hmm. runs and you try to turn, he doesn't just stop on a dime. And that makes him yeah. feel like a heavier character than some of the platformers before and that i mean we've seen examples of great control in almost every mario game in existence and but that is the one where it started yeah i mean it's it's difficult because um again you want something to be realistic like i i definitely think that they've made mario uh let's say less slippery as time went on yes especially with galaxy was a big uh, a big tightening up of that Yeah, because again, you have to imagine the player's intention of like, when they let go of pressing right, they don't want Mario to go right anymore. Um, They want him to come to a stop. Like there's there's a lot of instances, I remember playing the original Mario Brothers, where I would let go of the right button and then Mario would just like slide off a platform and fall to his death. It's like, that's not what I wanted. Um, Of course, now what they can do is they can have Mario plant his foot and then swing the rest of his body out, and that's how they can still sort of preserve the momentum mm. and make it look good um, without actually changing the character's position so that you never have, uh, like if the player has let go of right, they won't travel right anymore, but the animation still looks consistent and good because there's still some something they can do, which they couldn't have done with the little pixels they had back in the day on the original NES. True, yeah, so it's conveying, conveying the feedback in a way that doesn't punish you. Mm-hmm. is sort of the ultimate goal. I know, I know with Mario 64, going back to it, it, is, it feels a little bit more slippery than I remember, mm-hmm. but I think I still appreciate that. And one of the problems I found with Galaxy is that they tightened everything up, which always sounds mm-hmm. like a great idea, but I think it's because the environments are a lot smaller and more punishing in Galaxy. With Mario 64, like we were talking about with Zelda in the last episode, it was mm-hmm. a, the first time they were in 3D, and they yeah. didn't have a lot of pits and a lot of places you could fall into, at least in the first half of the game. The areas mm-hmm. were wide. But with Galaxy, they wanted to get back to what made the 2D ones a lot stronger, was that more precise yeah. platforming. But the problem is that the acceleration is sometimes so slow, because they're trying to not have you fall off these precarious areas and small areas, yeah. is that if you start jumping too quickly in Mario Galaxy before you've built up enough acceleration, you're not going to mm-hmm. go far. You're almost kind of stopped in one place and you're jumping up, but you're not getting any forward momentum. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's something that they went away from when they went back to, say, Mario 3D World, and it looks like Odyssey is getting a bit more of a balance between that. But it's, that's, that is, again, it's just ma- the mathematics of programming and tweaking and what feels mm-hmm. good. I mean, this, who, if they had the slippery Mario uh, 64 controls in Galaxy... Yeah it might have been an impossible game to complete. So yeah. it's a bit of a trade-off in that sense. It's one of those things where, like, when you're, you're programming these games, you can arrive at good game feel by accident, um, or at least good control feel by accident. It's possible. Like, you can just start coding a game and guess good values for acceleration and um, these sorts of things, that like how the controls should feel. But truly like nailing um like when you jump on an enemy and you want the like when you jump on a goomba and the sprite flattens down you know it doesn't just go away there's they leave the goomba there for like a little bit of time you get to see this little pancake of an enemy that you've just squashed and that's 
feels good because you like you register that you landed on it you get that um little sound effect that plays when you hit the goomba you get the little bit of score that pops up the little number that shows that you've um been rewarded for this action and then you get um the upward momentum afforded by bouncing off of its head you don't just go through it and phase through it as if it wasn't there right so those are like four elements that have all been grouped together to create that to like make landing on a Goomba feel good. Um, and in kind of a funny way, I'd say that um, a Koopa shell doesn't actually have the same impact. Like when you land on a Koopa, it's basically the same as landing on a Goomba. But when you kick the Koopa shell out and it starts flying forward and hitting things in front of you, it doesn't have the same um, impact because you're not uh, there's a sound effect that plays which is good but you're not getting a point value from kicking the Koopa shell forward you're getting a point value from all the things that the Koopa shell hits mm-hmm. but um, they didn't have as much they could do with like they you're not they don't want Mario to get knocked back uh, from hitting the Koopa shell they don't want him to like halt in their momentum so yeah. there effectively wasn't as much that they could do with making the Koopa shell get kicked forward which is why it doesn't feel as good to run into a Koopa shell from the side to initiate its momentum, but jumping on it still feels great. Jumping on it has always felt good. So it's just, it's interesting to see like where they were able to play with those factors and making something feel good versus when it didn't feel good. Yeah. Sort of sacrificing it where Mm -hmm. they realize that that outweighs it. Sure. It might seem on paper to blast Mario back a little bit when he kicks the shell, but you don't want to slow down. And I, I think that was, Another problem I had with Galaxy is that when you're running and you're trying to build up some speed, Mm -hmm. uh, if you run off of a platform to a Mm -hmm. lower level, he slows down and he loses a lot Mm -hmm. of momentum. And I felt like this is so against what what Mario is. But I think a lot of that game is playing with perception. You're upside down. Maybe the camera's trying to catch up with where you are in the world. And it is so precise that they had to make those sacrifices. And and they're things that I've gotten used to as I've gotten to the the more difficult levels in the game. If you look at Super Mario 3D World... He mm-hmm. uses a different acceleration tactic where once you start running, he has uh, like a two-tiered burst system. Yeah. And that's what, the satisfying thing about that is that once he gets up to that top speed, that will continue going as long as you don't stop. So it becomes yeah. a minigame in itself of how long can I keep this going, where as opposed to I went back and played Ape Escape 2, mm-hmm. you can get a, an item that you use the hula hoop and you go a lot faster. And I thought, okay, this game is because that game has very clumsy controls it's very slow mm-hmm. it's it's a terrible platformer um but the hula hoop runs out of steam and it's like ah you had a good idea why mm-hmm. why like you're gonna punish me for being able to like you should just reward the player with if they can manage to keep it going let them have it yeah let them have their fun <laughs> it's it's like it's, it's like two kids playing a game and an adult coming in and be like that's actually not how you play the game mm-hmm. stop it yeah that's it's one of those things that um there's uh like when i was creating um i'm designing my one of my games uh, orbit for a release on steam and one of the mechanics that i had is in the game you can manually designate the targets of your satellites to shoot at any enemy aliens and when i was updating the game i thought hey wouldn't it be cool if not only can your combat satellites target enemy aliens but what if your friendly satellites like your resource gathering solar satellite and your planet healing healer satellite what if they can also target your friendly satellites so they can like boost their power or whatever and uh what i uh didn't 
sort of anticipate in my original design was like what happens if you aim more than one solar satellite at a single um, combat satellite and it just goes through the roof in terms of how fast its rate of fire becomes. Okay. And yet when I was watching kids uh, beta test the game, they had a lot of fun with this sort of insanity. So I was like, okay, I can't take this out of the game entirely. I just have to limit the circumstances in which the player has access to multiple solar, solar satellites. So it totally, it, it goes to what you're saying in terms of like, sometimes if something feels good, whether or not, like if something, if your ultimate goal when designing a game is for the player to have fun, you shouldn't be so quick to say like, whoa, whoa, hang on, that's not what my original intention for this mechanic was. I'm going to dial it back so that you don't have this experience anymore. So like in the case of momentum, like player momentum, if you want and something that makes you go faster, like I think that's something that everyone gets their base movement speed in a game and it's like, okay, what's the run button? How do I make myself go faster than this? Like you, you start out um, Pokemon and you're walking around and then you get the running shoes and you feel like, this is awesome, I can go twice as fast. And then you get a bicycle and you can go three times as fast and it feels great. Um, and everyone is always sort of looking for that moment where they can get places faster because the core sort of facet of just physically walking around in the game environment just isn't interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, in Zarnok Fortress I was introducing the dash mechanic early on in the game so that the player can immediately um, know what the button is. Like, they have it from the start, but they, they quickly learn what the button is to accelerate and move faster. Um, and it just, it, it all sort of um, goes towards making the gameplay feel very... Um, not just fast for the sake of being fast, but fast when the player wants it to be fast because you're triggering that boost impulse whenever you want to. Um, and it's not like a limited time thing. Like you can uh, dash as many times as you want effectively to just like keep up your dash momentum. Um, and just really, that's what I'm sort of driving at with game feel is that it's it's not necessarily something that I can say like... Um, acceleration values of four pixels per second feels good because it i can't say that it doesn't matter uh you're designing a completely different game the the numbers that i could give for that sort of thing are completely irrelevant they don't match up between one game or another but if you have a game like in general when you're uh defeating an enemy like if an enemy goes from having any amount of health to being dead you want that to be very clear to the player you want that to give some feedback if it's uh, a Mario game, you want points to come off the top of it. If it's a uh, first-person shooter, you want to uh, trigger, like in, in Grand Theft Auto, they have the screen flash when you kill an enemy, and it gives you a clear indication that the guy you've put a bunch of bullets in is now, in fact, dead, and you can aim at something else. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these moments where you, like, it's really important to convey some kind of information to the player. Um, but that's just one facet of it. If you want the death to feel particularly satisfying, then in the platform game, when you land on something, you also play the sound effect. You also make the screen jitter a little. There's a lot of um, factors that all sort of come together to make each um, component of the gameplay experience feel more satisfying. And it's uh, it's ultimately a matter of a, a lot of... like. Um, going on what your gut reaction is and iterating until you find something that actually lines up nicely. I think that's going to do it.
Yeah. I know an Attila closing rant when I hear one. If you want to find me on Twitter, it is GameThinkTalk. And Attila? You can follow me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro or check out my website, BluishGreenProductions.com. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you know somebody that might enjoy the show, please share it with them. It helps out a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks.